for reading the precious Word of God for us this evening. Always a blessing to have the Scriptures of Truth read for us, and we trust God will bless even the reading of His precious Word. We welcome you all tonight in the Savior's name. It's good to have you with us, and we know that people join us online on a Monday night as well, and we welcome them also in the Savior's name. Over the last number of weeks in our Monday night Bible studies, we've been thinking about some aspects of approaching the throne of grace. The Bible invites us, exhorts us to do that with boldness uh, and assurance in Hebrews chapter 4. Yet there are many other aspects in the Word of God presented to us to encourage us to come before the Lord in prayer. And I want to speak tonight for a little while about surrendering ourselves afresh to the will of God. Whenever we come before the throne of grace, it's important that we surrender ourselves to the will of God or submit ourselves to the will of God. You have it there in verse number 2, Luke chapter 11, the disciples have asked the Lord, having watched him pray, they've been impressed with his prayer life, challenged by his prayer life, and whenever the Lord has finished praying, one of the disciples comes to him and says, Lord, teach us to pray. They were so impressed, so challenged by the prayer life of the Son of God, that as soon as he finished praying, their hearts rose up within them and they asked the Lord, Lord, would you teach us to pray? Not even so much teach us how to pray, but Lord, teach us to pray. And the Lord, of course, gives them this very familiar, pa familiar pattern prayer. And at the end of verse number two, one of the things that he exhorts his people to do whenever they pray, to re-echo this sentiment, thy will be done on, as in heaven so in earth. Thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. Oftentimes in, in war situations, the waving of a white flag has long been the symbol of surrender. Whenever the white flag is raised, it denotes absolute surrender to the claims of the aggressor. And whenever we think about our lives, and sometimes we wrestle with the will of God, and maybe even we wrestle against the will of God. But whenever there's a desire to do the will of God and an absolute surrender to the will of God, it brings victory and vitality into the prayer life of a believer. Every Christian ought to daily raise the white flag of surrender to the will of God. Whenever it comes to prayer, surrender to God's will is a vital Bible principle. Here the Lord Jesus Christ taught his disciples privately that were to re-echo this sentiment, thy will be done. And then in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6 again, on that occasion, he exhorts them to pray, thy will be done. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Those three petitions, thy name, thy kingdom, and thy will. So often in our praying, we're taken up with my name, my kingdom, my will. But the Lord wants us to pray effectively. And in order for us to do that, we must be consumed and preoccupied with his name, his kingdom, and his Will. And of course, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is the great example whenever it comes to prayer. And shortly before going to the cross, 
in the garden of Gethsemane, as he kneeled in that garden and began to pray, it says in Luke 22, 42, he prayed, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Absolute surrender to the will of his Father. Regardless of how difficult, regardless of how costly, regardless of how hard it might be for himself, Jesus Christ, our great example, resigned himself afresh, surrendered himself afresh to the will of God for his life. And so as we think tonight again about another aspect of approaching the throne of grace, the throne of God in prayer, we're thinking tonight about surrender to the will of God. I want you to consider, first of all, in this little statement that we have here at the end of verse 2 of Luke 11, thy will be done as in heaven, so on earth. The first words, thy will. And whenever we think about those words, thy will, I believe it reminds us, or causes us at least to consider, the positive perfection of the will of God. You see, we have plans, we have desires, we have thoughts and aspirations and certain things that we want to do, but so often our wills are flawed and marred and tainted by sin, but God's will is like Himself absolutely perfect. God, God's will is His sovereign purpose, His sovereign plan, and His sovereign desire. Now, there is such a thing as the revealed will of God, there are certain things that God in His Word has plainly and clearly revealed to be His will and His plan and purpose and His desire for every single believer. For example, the Bible says, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. And God makes certain things very plain and unmistakable in His Word so that we don't even have to pray, Lord, is this your will? Because God has said, there are certain things that are His will for every Christian. It's God's will for every Christian that we should pray. It's God's will for every Christian that we would feed upon His Word. It's God's will for every Christian that we would pursue holiness. It's God's will for every Christian that we would abstain from evil. And if we've got the physical ability to do so, it's God's will that we would attend the place of worship. It's God's will that we would witness for Him. It's God's will that we serve Him in whatever capacity He enables us to do that. It's God's will for us to bring forth fruit unto Him. There are certain things that are plainly and clearly revealed to be the will of God for our lives. And then there are other things that could be described as the secret will of God for our lives. Things that maybe don't lie right in the face of God's Word. Who should I marry? What should I do for a living? Should I pursue further education? Where should I live? What church should I attend? What form of service should I get involved in in the local church? What is the plan and purpose and will of God for the rest of my life? Would the Lord have me to engage in what we might call full-time service, to leave secular employment and go to Bible college and go to the mission field or take up the work of full-time evangelism? What would God have me to do in my spare time? Or maybe somebody approaches you and says, would you consider this 
uh, field of service, maybe in the local church, and you say, well, I need to go away and pray about that and get the mind of the Lord about that. Or you're teaching a Sunday school class or taking a children's meeting, and you're thinking, now what would the Lord have me to say to my class on Sunday? These are things that are maybe not clearly revealed in Scripture, but as we pray about them and seek the Lord about them, God can make those things plain and revealed as well. Now, the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that God's will is good and acceptable and perfect. And therefore, it's something that every Christian should be interested in. God's will, like himself, is good. God is good. Therefore, if we seek the will of God for our lives, we're seeking something that is good for us. God is good, the Bible says in Nahum 1-7. I know it's a verse that means a lot to many in this congregation tonight, and it has done over maybe the last number of years. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and He knoweth them that trust in Him. And so if God is good, His plans for us are good as well. The Lord said through the prophet Jeremiah to the nation of Israel, and they're just on the brink of going into 70 years of captivity. And they could despair and think all hope is gone. God is finished with us and God has cast us off forever. But God, even in the midst of their sin and their impending chastisement and captivity, God encourages them. And he says in Jeremiah 29, 11, and I believe it's a verse that holds good for every Christian. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. And the, really, the real word or thought behind the, 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 the word there, thought, is God has plans for us. God has a plan. And God has a purpose. And positive thoughts, even towards the children of Israel. And he's reminding them, listen, my plans for you are good. They're not evil. They're not to do you harm, but they're rather for your betterment. His plans for you tonight, child of God, his thoughts for you are good. And the Word of God also reminds us in the will of God that all things are working together for good to them that love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Romans 8, 28. We often say that so many New Testament Bible verses and Bible truths have a direct Old Testament counterpart. Romans 8, 28 has a, a very similar verse in, in Genesis 50, 20, whenever Joseph was an aged man and he's in Egypt and his brethren have been brought before him and he's revealed himself unto him and they've, they've wept bitterly about how they have treated Joseph and he stops them from weeping and he says, listen, as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. And if Joseph is a type of Christ, and we believe that he is, even the Jewish people, whenever they kneel the Lord to a cross, I believe there's coming a day when by and large as a nation, they shall look upon him whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him. And in a similar fashion, the Savior will say to them, as for you, you thought evil against me. You planned and plotted my crucifixion. And even in that, God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people 
alive. Even the plans for Christ on the cross were good plans that involved a lot of pain. It involved rejection. It involved suffering. But God's plans for Christ's cross work were good plans. Because through that cross work of Christ, He would give to His Son a people that would glorify Him and praise His name for all eternity. God's will tonight, Christian, for you is good. God's will tonight for the Christian is also acceptable. God is a God who is just. God is a God who is righteous. And if God is just and righteous, and He is, then His will and His plan for us must be right. And it must be just and it must be acceptable as well. The will of God is something that every believer should love. The psalmist said, I delight to do thy will, O my God. In the volume of the book it is written, thy law is within my heart. And of course, that's a messianic psalm and it brings us to Christ as well. But the psalmist surely, and truly every Christian, should really have a delight and a desire to do the will of God for their lives because God's will is good. God's will is acceptable. And God's will is perfect. God is perfect. And if God is perfect, then His will for us must be perfect as well. And His will for our lives, ultimately, the final aim of it is, is to make us perfect as well. The Bible says that the Lord will perfect that which concerneth us. And there's a day coming whenever every single one of us will be made perfect in holiness. Now, that's a, a work in progress in this world and in this earth. But whenever we see the Savior face to face, this corruption shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, and we shall see Him as He is, and we shall be like Him. And these bodies of ours will be transformed and be made like unto His glorious body, and our very souls will be made perfect in holiness. And in the Christian life, the Lord is preparing us for that tremendous event and giving to His people a hunger for Christ and a thirst for Him and this desire to be perfect. Little children's chorus, they often used to sing, little by little, every day, little by little in every way, Jesus is changing me. Sometimes it's slow going, but there's a knowing that someday, perfect, I will be. And that's a wonderful, wonderful prospect for every Christian. Romans 12, 2 says, God's will is good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. And it's something that Paul says we can prove in our lives. And it involves seeking first the kingdom of God and praying that His will would be done in our lives and yet, if we're absolutely honest, sometimes it's very difficult to pray that the will of God will be done in our lives. Because whenever we read in the Word of God about people like Joseph and people like Daniel and godly men and godly women who fulfilled the will of God in their lives, sometimes it was very, very difficult. And maybe we worry and we're concerned, will the will of God take me to a place and put me in a place where I'll not be able to cope or not be able to fulfill it. Somebody once wisely said, the will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. Every Christian should be interested 
in the will of God because of the positive perfection of the will of God for our lives. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will, not mine, O Christ. I wonder tonight, is that our prayer? Is that our desire? Notice secondly in this little text, thy will be done. Thy will be done. The practical performance of the will of God. God's will is not something that's merely to be discussed or prayed over or contemplated or considered. God's will is something that the Christian is encouraged and exhorted to pray that, Lord, your will would be done. Your will would be fulfilled. Your plans would be executed in this world and in my life as well. Whenever God saves, He plants within His people, I believe, something of a desire to discover His will for our lives. The Apostle Paul said that it is God that worketh in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. So the Christian should have a desire for the will of God and the desire to practically fulfill the will of God for their lives. A Christian who has no interest in the will of God for their lives is something of an anomaly. The Christian is a person who is interested in discovering the will of God for their lives. Somebody once said it's every Christian's privilege to find God's will, to follow God's will, and ultimately to fulfill God's will. I wonder tonight, can you say, right up until this point, I know that I'm in the center of God's will for my life right now. I know that I have sought the will of God, and I have found the will of God for my life. But many of us can struggle with that. And with the changing seasons of life, things can change, and we're maybe confronted with decisions and choices we have to make. Maybe it's regarding our education. Maybe it's regarding our family. Maybe it's regarding our home. Maybe it's regarding our employment. Maybe it's regarding retirement. Maybe it's concerning a loved one or some decision that we have to make in life. And we're confronted from time to time with big decisions. And sometimes it's difficult to really find and navigate the will of God. How do we do that? F.B. Meyer once told the story of a a ship navigating its way into a, a harbor in the darkness. He said, far out to the sea, there were three lights that, that had to line up. One was far out towards the sea. One was just in the front of the harbor. And one was safely inland. And whenever those three lights lined up, he says that's whenever the, the captain could navigate the ship safely into the harbor. I could add to those three lights. And I believe there are four things, four things that need to line up in our lives. If you're maybe seeking the will of God tonight about some aspect of your life, you're making a decision. You want to know, what will the Lord have me to do? And Lord, I don't want to step outside of your will. I don't want to go my own way and I don't want to lag behind. Lord, would you show me what to do? How can we navigate our way into the center of the will of God for our lives? Well, the first light and the main light is the light of Holy Scripture, the Scriptures of truth. You want to know the will of God about a subject? Open your Bible and search the Scriptures. And if there's some clear directive in the Bible 
and it's unmistakable and it's plain. That's the light that you go by. But you say, well, maybe this decision that I'm confronted with or this choice that I have to make, there's maybe no direct Scripture text that tells me what to do. Well, if there's no direct text that tells you what to do, then employ the principles of Scripture. And having opened the Word of God and sought the Scriptures of truth as our guidebook, and then maybe we're still not sure, and we're maybe careful about claiming a promise or taking a verse out of context, we say, but I'm still not exactly sure. Then the next light is the sovereignty of God. It's good to know tonight that our God is in control. It's good to know tonight that whenever we don't know, God does know. And whenever we're not sure, we can come before the Lord and say, Now, Lord, I'm not sure. I'm just not exactly sure what you would have me to do. I want to navigate my life according to the Word of God, but whenever I think of this particular situation that I find myself in, I'm just not exactly sure if I'm, if I'm searching the Scriptures are right. Maybe that's the way you're thinking. Sometimes you just have to throw ourselves into the, the very sovereign will of God for our lives and say, well, has the Lord opened the door? Or has the Lord maybe closed the door? Or has the Lord made this situation impossible? And it seems very clear that the Lord is saying no, or maybe the Lord is opening a door that otherwise wouldn't have opened, and things are shutting down, and things are opening up, and we realize that God is sovereign, and we pray about these things and say, now, Lord, you open and close the right doors and, and the wrong doors, and just don't may allow me to step outside of your plan for my life. The Scriptures of truth, the sovereignty of God, and then the surrender of our own will. This is one of the things that's very difficult. I believe whenever a Christian can get to the place where they can say, Lord, I desire your will much more than I desire my own. And Lord, I'm surrendering my will into your hands. Lord, I have desires, of course I do. There are certain paths that I would maybe like to go down, but Lord, I, I don't want to take a step without you. So Lord, I'm, I'm asking that your will would be done above and beyond mine, and I'm just surrendering my plans and my desires into your hands. That's exactly what the Savior did in the Garden of Gethsemane. And as he prayed that momentous prayer, nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. We see there Jesus Christ in his stark humanity, taking upon himself the form of a servant. And as he looked into that bitter cup, which I believe represents the justice and the wrath of God for our sins, it grated against him. It was something that the flesh did not desire, that pain, that suffering. And yet he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. The scriptures of truth, the sovereignty of God, the surrender of the will. And then I believe something else comes into play, and that's the sentiment of the heart. Now, it's not always good to trust our hearts, but I believe that once we're resigned to being biblical about something, and we're resigned to the sovereignty of God, and we've surrendered our wills to Him, the Bible says in Colossians, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And so once your heart and your will has been committed to Him, 
you can pray and say, now, Lord, put your desires within my heart. And don't allow me, Lord, to have a peace or a contentment about something that is not your will. But, Lord, if this is your will, and I believe it is, Lord, give me a peace about it. Allow me to be content to know that this is the way that the Lord is leading and the Lord is guiding. And dear friends, whenever those things begin to line up, you can be pretty sure and pretty certain that something is God's will for your life. Find God's will. And then follow God's will. Pursue it. Some people say, well, I'm going to pray about the will of God. And then whenever the will of God is revealed, they kind of look at it and say, well, I'm not so sure now. I'm not so sure if I want to go down that road after all. And I have in my experience, I'm sure you have as well, people have said, I believe God has told me to do this, and then they maybe don't do it, and they hold back. It's important to not only find the will of God, but fulfill the will of God, and not look at the will of God for our lives as being some optional thing. Well, I'll, I'll do what the Lord wants me to do if it ties in with my plans. I'll obey God if it makes me happy. I'll obey God if it makes my life easier, but if it's going to cost me something, well, I'm just not so sure. It's important to follow through and follow the will of God. Incidentally, praying the words, if it be thy will, is not a lack of faith. Do you ever meet someone and they say, you should never, ever, ever, ever pray, Lord, if it be thy will, do this, that, and the other. That shows a lack of faith. I've met people and they've said that to me. You should never pray that. You should just tell God almost what His will is. But the Son of God prayed, if thou be willing, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. It's not a mark of unbelief to say, Lord, if it be thy will. I think it's a mark of respect. I think it's a mark of reverence. I think it's a mark of submission not to come bounding into God's presence and making all these demands and being brash and brazen, but just to come humbly before the Lord and say, Lord, I want your will to be done. Sometimes, Lord, I'm not sure what your will is, but Lord, if it be thy will, but Lord, if not, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Find God's will, follow God's will, and then fulfill God's will. This is complete obedience. Did you ever read in your Bible readings, the record of the kings of Israel and Judah. Do you ever notice how the Holy Spirit describes so many of the kings? So and so reigned so many years and did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And then somebody else reigned after him for so many years in Israel or Judah and they did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And then sometimes you read about a certain king And it'll sometimes say, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. Not with a perfect heart. I believe in order for us to really fulfill the will of God for our lives, it's not only doing the will of God out of duress, but fulfilling the will of God with a right heart attitude, with a submissive heart, with a glad heart, with a surrendered heart, with a yielded heart. The practical performance of the will of God. Notice as well in this little text the particular place for the will of God. Look at what it says. Thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. God's will fulfilled 
in the earth. We might say, in the earth generally. Now there's a sense, we could say, in which the will of God is always being done, in one sense, in a very general sense. The Word of God says in the, in the book of Psalms, in Psalm 135 and verse number 6, Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did He in heaven and in earth, in the seas, and in all deep places. And in the prophecy of Daniel, we read the words in Daniel 4 and 35, He doeth according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay His hand or say unto Him, what doest thou? Some old theologians call this the permissive decree of God. That there's a certain permissive will of God. That God allows things to happen in this world. And yet at the same time, we have to be very careful to say that God is never the author of sin. And how it all ties together, these tiny little minds of ours will never be able to work it all out. Who by searching can find out God? Canst thou find out the Almighty unto perfection? The secret things belong unto the Lord, but the things which are revealed belong to us and to our children. And there are things that happen, and we just do not understand why they're happening. But the child of God can rest secure that God is in control, and not even a sparrow falls to the ground without her father, and the very hairs of her head are all numbered. But as we think about this little phrase, thy will be done on earth as in heaven, God's will done on earth, what about our little world personally? Is it our desire tonight that the will of God would be done in my life and in your life? Whenever Jeremiah went down in Jeremiah 18 to the potter's house, he saw the, the potter taking a piece of clay and he said it, upon the very center of the wheel, and he began to mold it into a vessel. And you know, he could never have done that if the clay was not in the center of the wheel. If it was on the outside of the wheel, it just wouldn't work like that. It needs to be right in the center in order for the potter to, to make that vessel and mold and fashion that vessel. And for the Lord's will to be done in our lives, we need to make it our prayer, Lord, let me be in the very center of the will of God for my life. Lord, don't let me deviate and don't let me get out of the hand of the potter. And Lord, don't me, let me resist the will of God. Even in the, in the big things, we need to be in the center of God's will for our lives. In marriage and education, employment and service and all of these different things, what we might say, the big things. It's important to be in the center of the will of God for our lives. But it's also important to be in the center of the will of God for our lives in the small things the tiny things, the secret things, far away from witnesses whenever nobody's watching, only God, even there to, to seek to do the will of God in those small things that are maybe unknown to others. You might say that God's will should be done in our lives in all things. Whenever Stephen Alford, who was a great preacher, was ordained to the Christian ministry, his mother gave him a copy of God's Word a lovely leather-bound Bible, and inside the flyleaf of the Bible she had written to Stephen from your mother in a Bible verse, and then these words below it, God's will, nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. And that's how he commenced his ministry, with those words in his heart, God's will, nothing more, nothing less, 
and nothing else. George Matheson was an unusual character. He wrote a, a few hymns that are in our hymn book. One is Make Me a Captive Lord. He suffered tremendously in his life with blindness and depression and for many years even a lack of assurance of his salvation. It almost drove him to despair. But ultimately it led him to a tremendous ministry in Scotland. And he wrote that great hymn, Make Me a Captive Lord. And in one of the verses of that hymn, he writes the words, My will is not my own, till thou hast made it thine. If it would reach a monarch's throne, it must its crown resign. It only stands unbent, while by myself I stand. And he prayed, Lord, imprison me within your mighty hand. My will is not my own, till thou hast made it thine. Do we ever make that our prayer? Lord, make my will to be your will. Some of you maybe over the years have been involved in carpentry or joinery. Now, if you want to take two pieces of wood and, and glue them together, you, you, you clean the edges as best you can and get two straight, smooth edges. Then you apply the glue and then you clamp them together and you put them under intense pressure. And once the glue sets, you can take the clamps and take the pressure off. And very often, if you've got good glue, the actual joint is stronger than the wood on either side of it. But it has to be put under tremendous pressure in order for that joint to be strong. And sometimes in our lives, whenever the Lord wants to unite our wills to His, He puts us under maybe tremendous pressure. And then whenever he sees that our wills are joined and united to his, then he brings a great freedom and liberty into our lives and into our hearts. Notice one last little thought as we think about surrender to the will of God. One last thought. Those little words, as in heaven. Thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. As in heaven, the preferred pattern for the will of God. Savior here is essentially telling his disciples, whenever you pray for the will of God to be done in your life, pray that God's will would be done in your life and in this earth in the same manner in which it's done in heaven. Even by the sinless angels and the, the spirits of just men made perfect, in the immediate presence of God in a place and in an environment free from self and sin and pride, full of gloriness, glory, holiness, and light. How is God's will done in heaven? Let me just suggest in closing a few words to you. I believe that God's will is done in heaven immediately, without delay. Now, whenever God reveals his will to us, I believe he wants us to do it immediately, without delay. God's will is done in heaven actively. They don't sit about thinking about it, contemplating it, considering it. They actually do it. God wants us to actively be involved in fulfilling His will in our lives. I believe the angels of heaven do God's will fervently. They do it with effort. They do it with enthusiasm and with gladness. I believe that God's will is done in heaven reverently, with godly fear, because we read about the angels praising the Lord and saying, holy, holy, Holy. I believe that God's will is done in heaven willingly. I believe that God's will is done in heaven sincerely, with the right motive, with the right attitude. I believe that God's will is done in heaven humbly. 
not to be seen. I don't think the angels of heaven are competing with one another, trying to be seen by one another. The Word of God says in Isaiah 6 that they veil their very faces. Their sole motive is the glory of God. They're not looking around to see who's watching them. And that's the way God's will should be done on earth, humbly. God's will in heaven, I believe, is done devotionally in the spirit of worship and praise. God's will is done in heaven continually. God's will is done in heaven joyfully. God's will is done in heaven perfectly or fully and flawlessly. God's will is done in heaven selflessly. Friends, that is exactly how Jesus Christ, the Son of God, fulfill the will of God in this earth just as it was done in heaven, in the garden of Gethsemane. Whenever he prayed that prayer, if thou be willing, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He was doing the will of God on earth as it was done in heaven. And we could never emulate Christ. We could never fulfill the will of God the way he did. But we need to make it our prayer tonight as we approach the throne of grace. Full surrender to the will of God for our lives. After the death of D.L. Moody, R.A. Torrey, a tremendous successor, a man greatly used of God, preached a sermon and wrote a great article entitled, Why God Used D.L. Moody. And in that sermon or in that periodical, he had seven points as to why under God, D.L. Moody was so signally used of God. And here's the list that he gave. He said D.L. Moody was a man of prayer. He said D.L. Moody had a deep, was a deep and practical student of the Bible. He said D.L. Moody was a humble man. He said D.L. Moody was a man who for his entire life was free from the love of money. Furthermore, he said D.L. Moody had a consuming compassion for the salvation of the lost. Then lastly, he said D.L. Moody was definitely endued with power from on high. But right at the top of the list, the one that I left out, the very first thing that he said as to why God used D.L. Moody was because D.L. Moody was a fully surrendered man. Fully surrendered. And that's what the Lord, I believe, wants us to be. Just surrendered, submitted, praying, Lord, let your will be done in my life. Let your will, Lord, be done in this church. Let your will be done in this world. Lord, may your name be glorified. Lord, may your kingdom be built and extended. And Lord, may your will be done. And I believe that if we can employ those principles, that God can bless us and make us a blessing. Thank you so much for